Thank you for listening to the sermons here at Ascension Lutheran Church. Our worship services happen on Sunday mornings. 8.30 is our traditional worship service, and 10.30 is our contemporary worship service. We'd love to see you on a Sunday morning. You can visit us also on our website at www.alcrpv.org. We hope you enjoy the sermon. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this holy time that we get to be together and we get to hear your word and sing songs and, and proclaim the truth of your goodness. Lord, help us to understand that you are a God who speaks, you are a God who loves us, you are a God who ordains us. So Lord, you will take this time and make it yours. You will chisel out of our heads, ears, and eyes so that we can listen. Let there be less of me so that there can be more of you. Order this space and this time so that we might be transformed by your spirit. We pray these things in the powerful name of our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. We get to end the sermon series on the gospel today. And we have journeyed through this beautiful time. And for me, we started, and if you remember, by thinking about this as just drenching ourselves in the love of God, just basking in the water of God flowing on us and telling us once again how good he is and and how much he loves us. And we're going to keep that momentum, that energy right into Lent. As I mentioned, just being in the presence of the one who adores you and knowing you are fully loved and listening to his voice. And so here we are telling this wonderful good news And I think that there's a tendency for those of us who hear this to um, forget or maybe to become a little numb to the fact that this is incredibly good news, that it is news that breaks through the barriers of sin and shame, break through the, the needs, the powers that hold us down and tells us how good it is to be loved. I mean, we have said incredibly powerful, important things. Like we've reminded ourselves that God's first word is always welcome. The king of the universe, the one with all the power, all the authority, looks at us and says, come to me. I want to be with you. Welcome. Come on. And this is scandalous. This is, this is something that if we had heard it for the first time, we'd say, no, no, surely not. That can't be the story. But on Christmas, remember, we were reminded that the love, the authority, the power of God, the strength is for us and not against us so that we can actually rest. We can rest in his arms. None of us would put our baby in that position unless we knew what? We knew that the lion was for them. And if that lion is for you, Who can be against us? These kinds of words, these kinds of messages break through and pierce into our hearts that we need to hear this good news because it is so easy to put up the wall of sin, the wall of shame, the wall of maybe a cynic, hopelessness, and this news can't get through. I um, 
was thinking about the Sermon on the Mount that we've been teaching on in both Tuesday mornings and here on Sunday mornings. And if you're reminded, the Jesus, remember he says no words in the beginning of Matthew. Matthew sets it up so that there's no words there until that first phrase, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And then he goes on the mountain and he starts giving good news to the broken. Good news to the poor. Emily and I were watching some show on, on Netflix that, to be honest, is not really that good and is becoming very predictable. But there's, there's a, a moment when we were watching it that I saw these two women and their lives had just become a total mess. And they, they were feeling so bad about themselves. They had screwed everything up. Every way they looked, it's brokenness with their friends, brokenness with their children, their jobs. They're pretty sure they're going to end up in jail. They just feel like everything's broken. And they're in this car and they're just weeping because they, they don't see any light anywhere. And they don't see any hope anywhere. And they, they feel like everything they've touched has become a mess and it's their fault. And I thought of the Sermon on the Mount, and I thought I saw those two girls as the camera, the two women, as the camera panned away. And I thought of Jesus when he looked and he said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who mourn. And the word he has for them, for they will be comforted. Blessed are you, broken women, who feel like you've just broken everything you've touched for yours will be the kingdom of heaven. And the good news that is for somebody who feels so far away, so many walls of sin and shame and brokenness up, that this good news comes and pierces and breaks through. This is the gospel. And I've, I've been talking about the front end of Matthew, right? And, I, and I've told you that the reason Matthew is doing this is that so on the last page, when you close the gospel of Matthew, you look and you say, surely this man is the son of God. Surely everything is different. Remember, he set it up. He had um, the wise men coming from the east. He had Jesus going into Egypt and coming out of Egypt. All of these things are set up. And then we get to the end. Now, if you go through the Gospels, most of the Gospels are focused around the last week of Jesus' life. They kind of go fast through the three years, and then they slow way down. And they just look at Jesus in Jerusalem in this last week of his life as the powers that be start to turn against him. And he fixes his eyes on the cross and starts going to the cross. And Matthew slows down and gets us to this point. And I want for us, as we transition from this gospel sermon series into this Lenten romantic sermon series, I want us to use the cross and the resurrection as this turning point at the end of Matthew. So I told you that um, Matthew's Opening, Jesus is silent, right? He doesn't say anything until late Matthew chapter 4. And then chapter 5, he starts talking again. And the same is true at the end of Matthew. When he zooms in to the um, crucifixion, when he zooms in that last week of Jesus' life, all of a sudden, the red words start to disappear. 
Now, we don't have red word Bibles in the pew in front of you, but um, my 12-year-old daughter showed me that there's a thing I can do called screen recording on my phone. And so what I did was I went through the Bible app on my phone, and I want to show you these last couple of chapters, and I want you to notice how the red words slow down. So here we are um, in Matthew 26, and Jesus is teaching He's in the garden, about to be arrested, and now he's before the council, being charged. He stands before the council, and he says this huge statement, which basically says, I am the son of man. I am who you say I am. And the high priest tears his garments and says, we don't need anything else. He's convicted himself. This is a line that Jesus used, quoting earlier when he predicted that Peter would um, deny him. And now Jesus is before Pilate. And Judas goes out and in sorrow hangs himself. And we go down and we see Jesus before Pilate. And all he says to Pilate is, you have said so. No more statements except you have said so. The crowd chooses the sinner instead of Jesus to be released. Jesus does not stand up for himself. He doesn't say anything. Jesus goes to be crucified. No red words. No red lines. Jesus is mocked. And he doesn't stand up for himself, doesn't say anything back to the crowds. He hangs on a tree, he's crucified, and he dies on a tree. And we have one line from Jesus where he looks up to heaven and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that's the last word he says before he dies and is crucified. Notice that Jesus turns silent. In the beginning of Matthew, Jesus is silent. And here, in this most important part of his life, Jesus is silent. But I think it's for very different reasons. At the beginning, Jesus is silent because we're anticipating the Messiah. And Matthew is setting us up so that we can see this wonderful Messiah come and just blow away our expectations. Look to the hurting and the broken and saying, you, the kingdom of heaven, is for you. It's for you, the one with sin and shame. But at the end, something very different is happening. See, what's happening, Jesus is being mocked. And there's this temptation in us to just think that what Jesus did was he put on our sin like I put on my clothes this morning. Now, I'm still Scott under my clothes. But, you know, today I'm wearing my um, clerical outfit. If you saw me on Friday, you'd see me in my snowboarding outfit, right, as I snowboarded with the kids, which, just a quick aside, I always put my snowboarding outfit on and think to myself, you look really cool. And then I see myself in the pictures and the mirror, and I think, you don't look cool. You know, do you ever have that problem where you're thinking, man, this, you look like one of those cool kids, but I've, I've, God did not make me look like a cool kid like that. So, but I'm wearing these things, right? But the inside Scott stays the same. This is not how Jesus wore our sin. And even in our song, as we were saying it, I thought, okay, where it says, our sin upon his shoulders. Doesn't that put just a little bit of distance? Oh, he's wearing our sin. He's taking on our sin. Oh, that innocent man crucified for my sin. That's only partly true. If you look at the way the scriptures talk about his crucifixion, 
And this is, I think, the most clear explanation. It says this in 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. Does it say he made him to wear our sin? To put on our sin? No. What does it say? To be sin. I think Jesus was quiet on the way to the cross because as they were hurling insults at him, they were accurate. On the way to the cross, Jesus was the worst adulterer, the worst murderer, the worst thief, the worst liar that had ever walked on the planet. He didn't wear your sin. He became your sin. So that on the cross, he was rightly convicted, crucified. So that your sin was taken care of. The mocking was what we should have gotten. The crying out, all of those insults hurled at him, all of those convictions hurled at him was what we should have received. Jesus became sin. And notice what Paul does. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. So in the same way that on the, on the way to the cross, Jesus became sin, you have become the beloved. It is not something you wear like an outfit. It's not something you put on. It's who you are. Jesus became something foreign to him so that you can become something foreign to yourself. And then you live in that place. So that the truth of what God has done for us is he has given you a new name and a new title that is with you no matter what happens. You can't take it off. You can't choose to say, oh, okay, you know, yeah, it's snowboarding Scott on Friday and Pastor Scott on, on Sunday and then Monday is a holiday, so it's sweatpants and no shirt Scott. Right? No. I am transformed into the beloved, the child of God, because Christ was transformed into all of my stuff. See, I think Christ was silent on the way to the cross and his only words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he was forsaken because we deserve to be forsaken. We deserved to be cast out. And so then we can look back and we can say, thank you, Christ, for doing something that I could never do for myself. So that now I can walk around in 2023 as the beloved one, as the righteousness of God. But what I want to do now is I want to read to you from Matthew 28, and I want us just to enjoy the closing of Matthew. Remember I told you that Matthew's goal is for you to close the book and you to fall in love with Jesus. For you to close the book and for you to realize that you are the righteousness of God, the beloved one. 
for you to close the book and for you to say, I need to get out and start praying from, for my neighborhood because they need to know that they're the beloved too. They need to stop living in that sin and that shame, but I need to tell them this good news. So let's listen to the last chapter of Matthew, the way he ends the story. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord, descending from heaven, came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. I mean, what an image, right? Because the women are coming up, and they're coming to a tomb, and they don't know what they're going to do. All they know is that they need to see the body of Jesus. They need to take care of it. But it's surrounded by soldiers, and they've sealed it with wax and a seal of the governor so that no one can open it because it needs to be sealed so that no one can claim they stole the body. So the women are showing up going, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I have to be close to him. And as they show up, this angel comes down, and I love that he sits on the tomb. Like, this whole thing, nothing anymore. Now it's just below me. An angel of the Lord, and he says, um, His appearance was like lightning, his clothing white as snow. For fear of him, the guard shook and became like dead man. But the angel said to the women, what do you think he says? Of course, don't be afraid. I'm here for you, not against you. I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has been raised. As he said, come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has been raised from the dead. <coughs> and indeed, excuse me. And indeed, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him. This is my message for you. So they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. Right? The women who we could do a sermon series on how God uses the women. The ones who are not even allowed to testify in court. But they're the first eyewitnesses to the empty tomb. And they run back. And what do you think happens? On their way back, suddenly Jesus met them and said, what's God's first word always? Welcome. The first, the last word that they heard him cry out was what? Eloi, Eloi, lama sabatini. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He became sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. He sees them in the garden. They're running. And his first word is readings. Now, we don't have a good word for this Greek word because this Greek word is right here. Cairo, okay, is this Greek word. And it means um, joyful greetings. Greetings, all of you, with joy and pleasure, right? It's not just, hey, I want you, when you see this word, I want you to imagine, do you remember the days before 9-11 when we could go to the airport and actually wait at the gate? And there were times that people, you know, hadn't seen their beloved in a long time or haven't seen their children in a long time and they get off their plane and their kids are there or their beloved is there and they, they, they make you feel a little uncomfortable because it's inappropriate. Right? That greetings is the energy of this word. 
joyful expectation. Yes, I see my beloved one. Come on, come to me. Greetings. The women are running away from the tomb. They're running to tell the disciples. And Jesus sees them. And what does he say to them? He doesn't say, hey, how are you? But he says, hey, come on. I'm so glad I used to be with you again. Isn't it great that I've gone through the gates of hell to stand and be with you and look you in the eye and tell you I love you? Isn't it great that I am raised from the dead? That I became sin who knew no sin so that you might become my children? Greetings. This is how Matthew ends. So, greetings. And they came to him and they took hold of his feet and they worshiped him. How long did this take? Five minutes, 10 minutes, five hours? Who knows? Would there be enough time in human history to unpack the greetings and the the pleasure that those women felt at his feet? Just being with him, enjoying him, um, basking in the love of the God who's gone through heaven and hell to be with him? This is what our Lent's about, okay? That's what we're going to get to do. Then Jesus said to them, again, after who knows how long, I don't know, do not be afraid, but go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now I'm going to give it to who? You. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, with you always, the very end of the age. Matthew closes the book. And with that final word, we look back at this Jesus who we've just journeyed with, we realize he is who he said he was. That we have to go back at the beginning and start again and say, teach me anew. Now that I know that you have the power over sin and death, show me again what life looks like. Go. Tell everyone about my greetings to them. That I am for them, not against them. I am with them. This is the gospel. This is the good news that moves us from the season of Epiphany into the season of Lent. We now get to sit at this table with Jesus, hear these greetings, and be welcomed deeper into relationship with him. What is it to sit in the presence of God and just enjoy him? What is it to listen to him? What is it just to be with him? Let's spend the season of Lent doing just that. Heavenly Father, we thank you for for this day. We thank you for these people. We thank you for the privilege we have to get to know you and to be with you. Lord, we ask now that you come into this place, that you give us your presence and and your life, that we get to hear you once again say, welcome, come. And we go to this table and we get to hear those words those simple words 
that you are for us, not against us. In this meal, in body and blood, you are for us. You give yourself to us so that we can be known and loved by you.